Hello and welcome. This is the UC Santa Cruz News Roundup podcast, where we talk about the latest news and research from UC Santa Cruz. In this episode, we'll be talking about increasing knowledge about COVID-19, mammoth DNA. Wow, there's news there. Uh, we'll have some campus news and um, and even how to get moving and grooving, even in COVID lockdown. Speaking of which, we are, of course, social distancing still. <laughs> it seems, yep. like, seems like it's been a very long time. Does it seem that way to you, Dan? It does, and I don't know where podcasters are on the on the vaccine queue. <laughs> low, very low. I know because we're considered mostly voices, not like actual flesh and body humans. So I'm not sure <laughs> if we even are on the lineup at all. Yeah, I don't know if they've given that any thought. <laughs> I don't think podcasting is a category for them, no. but. Um, Anyway, we say that um, so that you can forgive any poor audio quality or random sounds in the background as we get you the podcast, even in this continuing strange and uncertain environment. And, you know, Dan, um, it's March now, and so it has been approximately one year since we were told to vacate our offices and work from home. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I bet you can imagine kind of the last sort of normal activity, the kind of thing you wouldn't do now. And for me, it was my daughter's birthday party here at, yes. at, our, at our home. You know, a bunch of kids here, and I thought, well, that wouldn't float now. But um, but yeah, and it's almost using that as a benchmark to to uh, you know measure the passage of time, and it's a little bit surreal. It really is. I, I agree. I the same thing. Um... We got to have my son's birthday party last March and we had it at a, you know, like a gymnastics place in town. And I remember um, the adults, you know, while the kids were playing, the adults were like kind of chatting about this COVID-19 thing. And we were like, oh, this is just so weird and it's a little bit scary. And God, little <laughs> did we know how humongous it was just going to get. So, yeah, um, time frame too, because I remember... Yeah. Um, you know, being in the office in, in Scotts Valley and running into someone who could see, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about her in a little bit, but I just been on the uh, on the phone with pandemics expert and award-winning journalist, Lori Garrett, and I looked a little mm -hmm. bit ashen. And he said, you know, we'll probably be back in the office in a month or two, right? And I told him, you know, I think it could be longer. <laughs> Which is yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, well, well, we're moving forward. <laughs> Hopefully things are improving. We're going to talk about it all. Um, I'm yes. your co-host, Gwen Jordanay, and I'm an editor for UC Santa Cruz News. I'm your other co-host. I'm Dan White. I'm a writer for UC Santa Cruz News. Yeah. And um, another thing I, I need to acknowledge is that you and I haven't done a podcast in a little while. Um, things have been a little bit just crazy. Um, we've been just working hard and both of us have little kids at home doing Zoom yeah. school. So uh, well, your kid's not quite as little. Um, she's getting bigger now. But anyway, it's just been a challenging environment. So um, we just hope that, you know, our listeners are, have forgiven us and <laughs> we can kind of pick up where we left off. Um, so yeah. we're ready to go. All right. So uh, you ready to dive? A little testy, I think. I think I'm glad yeah. that 
glad to actually clear out the office of the fan mail, but you know, the, the consultants <laughs> here bring us back and um, I yeah. know. Yeah. The fan mail has been pretty, you know, it's, it's been overwhelming and, and, you know, I also miss our glamorous studios in, oh, in the heart incredible. of Scotts Valley. So one day we will get back there to our, to our glamorous surroundings. In the meantime, we're, we're podcasting from our makeshift um, home studios. <laughs> All right. You're, you're ready to dive in? I think so. Okay. Let's do some news. All right. You go, you go first. Okay, I will. All right, I will go ahead and dive in. Now, uh, listeners, I'm sure all of you out there are hoping to get a roadmap of the COVID future and are full of burning questions. Is the outlook for the next few months going to be sunny or bleak? Can we safely visit our aging parents or grandparents after they're vaccinated? Can the vaccines protect us against the troubling new COVID variants that are arising around the globe? Um, well, UC Santa Cruz infectious disease expert A. Marm Kilpatrick explored these pressing questions and more on February 16th during actually the second of his Zoom-based lectures on COVID since July, when he called for uh, caution and personal responsibility as ways for, for communities to protect themselves from the disease. Now, during his latest uh, CRAW lecture, for UC Santa Cruz, they said the big obvious question is what about the vaccines and do they protect us against these new variants? And the answer is a qualified yes. Hmm. Okay. Now the word qualified spoke volumes. Uh, Marm Kilpatrick in his, his talk entitled uh, COVID-19 vaccine variants and more emphasized that scientific knowledge on, the, on most variants is still rather limited and that more of these things keep popping up on the scene. Mm -hmm. Now, some variants, as you probably know, are more transmissible, possibly deadlier and require higher immunity or more restrictions to avoid them, including mask use and social distancing. But Kilpatrick said he remains confident that vaccine, vaccines will keep the public safe in spite of the troubling variations. Most scientists believe that there's still going to be substantial protection, especially against severe disease, he said, speaking of variants in general. Now, the, the wild card for the coming year is going to be the variants, he said, and he laid out the factors that will determine what happens in the next three months, the next six, beyond the year. It all depends on whether the population can take sensible measures to protect itself while awaiting those vaccinations and whether those vaccinations can overtake or keep pace with the variants now spreading at a rapid rate. The US must vaccinate people as fast as possible and keep transmission low until we do so with masks uh, uh, and distancing and ventilation. Uh, we still need to know whether the variants can cause severe disease in people that are vaccinated. We don't think so, but we don't have as good data as we would like. Wow. So, okay. So it sounds like there is so, sort of good news, um, but there are a lot of unknowns here. Um, and one thing I'm sure our listeners would really love to know is, so do you need to keep on wearing a mask and social distancing even after you get vaccinated? Good questions, uh, both. And Professor Kilpatrick says the answer to both those questions is an emphatic yes. <laughs> In other words, keep wearing the protective mask, keep socially distancing, even after you get vaccinated because of the simple fact that the vaccination is, is quite effective, but not 100% effective mm. in blocking infection. So people who have received the vaccine could still 
could possibly become infected and transmit the virus to someone else. Not a very good chance, but it could happen. In addition, scientists still don't have a really clear idea of how long vaccine protection vaccination protection lasts against the disease. We know protection against disease lasts at least two or three months, probably more, but it's an open question. Um, and by the way, he also relayed a question from the audience um, who uh, the audience asked if it were safe for families, including non-vaccinated children to visit aging parents or grandparents who'd been vaccinated, especially in cases when families would need to, to fly to see them. He said, that's a little bit of a tough question. Life's about risk and reward. Uh, while the vaccinated seniors' chance of getting any sort of symptomatic infection is quite small, greatly produced, reduced, the chances are probably not zero, but it's a low number. Mm -hmm. However, the travelers must take into consideration that the vaccinated senior could hypothetically infect family members by being a carrier, but not getting sick themselves. So he recommended some caution. Speaking of all things COVID, I had a second really illuminating conversation with the illustrious UC Santa Cruz alum, Lori Garrett, Pulitzer Prize winning science journalist, author of the best-selling book, The Coming Plague, and really a go-to source about the future of COVID for millions of people. Now, she's the one I spoke to about a year ago, Gwen, who really showed me the what was in store really in the coming months for COVID. And I feel like she could kind of see around the dark corners. I mean, she's kind of a go-to person for a reason because she's very, very far reaching in her predictions. Mm -hmm. She's a regular guest on MSNBC and has a Twitter following of around 240,000 people. So she really does have the world's ear about all things COVID. And uh, you know, you can always tell when I've hung out on the phone with Lori Garrett because my face turns a little bit pale and I seem more anxious <laughs> than usual. When. So anyhow, um, her, uh, her main takeaway, my main takeaway from the most recent phone call is be vigilant. Yes, the vaccines are rolling out, vaccine to the rescue, but take care because of, as you probably guessed, the variants. Uh, she is thrilled, Lori Garrett is thrilled that the adults are finally in the room when it comes to a national uh, COVID-19 response. She's referring to the new administrative turnover with uh, President Biden in the chair. Now, uh, Garrett, by the way, Merrill, 75 biology grad, a very outspoken critic of the Trump administration's handling of the outbreak. She praised the Biden administration's strong emphasis on science and data and its empathy towards victims of the devastating disease. We've seen compassion from leadership, she said. For the first time, we've seen genuine understanding of grief. Now, um, she recently retweeted an exhaustive breakdown of COVID data. She was so excited about some data that came that was uh, put out from the White House's COVID response team that she retreated it showing viral test positivity rates. Uh, she was just really glad to see that those figures kind of widely available. And um, so it may sound like she's got an unusually cheery outlook for Garrett, who mm -hmm. has known for some of her, you know, more doomier prognostications, but make no mistake. <laughs> she remains vigilant about the need for an all-out race to stay ahead of contagious variants that have made inroads, especially concerned about the paltry amount of genomic testing and surveillance that is needed, genomic testing rather, needed to detect the new variants. Now the CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna have given interviews saying they're working on rapidly altering their existing vaccines so they will have mRNA code, not just for the baseline COVID-19, but for the subtypes. But those vaccination uh, tweaks raise logistical questions. Uh, Garrett says, then you get to the whole question of how regulatory agencies approve these rapidly. 
do we have to do clinical trials all over again? Mm-hmm. Well, the pace in which variants are showing up, the virus will keep winning. On the other hand, we can't just throw up our hands and get rid of all safety regulations. So it seems to me that Lori Garrett's profile has really risen tremendously since the outbreak began. She's really been um, mentioned a lot on a lot of different news outlets. Um, and she's really been a central part of the national conversation around COVID. I mean, it sounds like a lot of people are taking her ideas pretty seriously. Yes, they really are. And clearly a lot has changed. Um, you know, she has a longstanding reputation, as I pointed out, of noticing what others aren't seeing. Mm. And I, I, when I spoke with her, I talked about the fateful tweet she posted on December 31st, 2019, with a really understated tone that she uh, that kind of came back to haunt her. In that original tweet, she wrote, a new mysterious outbreak in China. Symptoms are described as SARS-like, but there's no evidence yet of human-to-human transmission, and it's centered around a fish market in Wuhan, not around live civets, as was the case with SARS. Still, merits watching. I love that. Merits, <laughs> merits watching. watching. <laughs> kind of now kind of boggles over the calmness of the tweet. And I asked her about it, and she said, frankly, I would have sounded a greater alarm even then, except that I'd taken a lot of beatings on social media. <laughs> I was accused of being a fear monger, of whipping up hysteria and all this kind of stuff. So I took a fairly this bears watching perspective. What I really wanted to say was, holy crap, my hair is on fire. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you're, you're right, Gwen, because since then, her media presence is just really, really blown up. Yeah. Um, and uh, so she's become a really go-to voice on things like the variants and talked about um, how the new administration is trying to keep up with the variants. But as she said to me, you can't just snap your fingers and have a national mechanism of genomic surveillance. And you can't just snap your fingers and suddenly fix every single thing that went wrong with the original the vaccine rollout. She says there's been something wrong with every step of the rollout. And we're in this reactive mode still because of that. And the virus is racing ahead. And she's calling for a strategic, strategic plan of really naming the goal. Are we after containment, total elimination, eradication? Uh, what are we doing? She says the virus has us by the reins and we are trying to tame the horse while it is bucking all over the place. Mm. So, um, yes. So it's always sobering to, to speak with her. And, uh, you know, on a more exciting uh, science news front that... Uh, has kind of gee whiz implications instead of, you know, am I gonna be safe implications. Um, Some ancient teeth from the long dead woolly mammoth has led to a rather astounding discovery. Now an international uh, team of scientists has sequenced DNA recovered from mammoth remains as old as uh, 1.2 million years. The analysis- Wow. Colombian, Colombian mammoth that inhabited North America during the last ice age was a uh, hybrid between the woolly mammoth and a previously unknown genetic lineage of mammoth, a crossbreed, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right the right genetic term, crossbreed. <laughs> Being powerful. Anyhow, the study led by researchers at the Center for Paleogenomics in Stockholm and published February 17th in Nature also provides new insights into when and how fast mammoths became adapted to the cold climate, wondering if they're furry parkas, you know, evolved with us. Um, parka is also an unscientific term. Now, <laughs> the fuzzy coats. Co-author 
our rock star professor, Beth Shapiro, professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at UC Santa Cruz. Is it just me, Gwen, or is Beth Shapiro popping up all over the place? I know, she is. She's, she's everywhere. It's great. Just, just, you know, all over the place. Uh, said the results push back pretty substantially what we'd come to think of as the oldest possible ancient DNA. Hmm. Now, the previous record was DNA from a 750,000-year-old horse. Oh, my gosh. Shapiro's team analyzed in 2013. Now, in the new study, researchers were able to analyze the genomes from three ancient mammoths using DNA recovered from mammoth teeth that had been buried in the Siberian permafrost from 0.7 to 1.2 million years Around 1 million years ago, there were no woolly or Columbian mammoths as they had not yet evolved. This was the time of their predecessor, the ancient steppe mammoth that's pronounced, I mean, it's pronounced, it's spelled S-T-E-P-P-E, -P -P -E, mammoth. Right, the mammoth of the steppes. Um, gosh, yeah, so there's been a lot of a buzz around the story, understandably, it's so fascinating. Um, but what I'm curious about is when you have DNA that's so, ancient i mean doesn't it um like disintegrate or how are scientists able to read it and draw conclusions from it yes really good question gwen um and i think the short answer is it was incredibly tricky <laughs> super hard this is the first time that dna has been sequenced and authenticated from million year old specimens and extracting the dna from the samples was really challenging <laughs> the scientists found that only minute amounts of dna remained in the samples and that the DNA was degraded understandably into very small fragments. This DNA is incredibly old. So the senior author, uh, Love Dalen, professor of evolutionary genetics at the Center for Paleogenomics in Stockholm, the samples are a thousand times older than Viking remains and even predate the existence of humans and Neanderthals. Now the age of the specimens, this is so cool, was determined using both geological data and the molecular clock. Huh. The analyses showed that two of the specimens are more than 1 million years old, whereas the third is roughly, well, a, a young one at 700,000 years old and <laughs> represents one of the earliest known woolly mammals. So it's, it's, it's really cool, Gwen. I don't think it's gonna mean that we'll have a Jurassic Park, we're gonna bring back the mammoths anytime soon, but it's, it's, it's amazing to uh, increase our scientific knowledge using a sample that is so incredibly old. Yeah, my gosh, it really is. It, it, I mean, it illuminates history of the earth <laughs> while also making me wonder if it might, you know, throw light onto any present day challenges somehow. That is a very interesting question. Yeah. All right. Well, on my radar, uh, I've got a little more present day news, <laughs> we might say. I mean, uh, you know, speaking of old things, I mean, not quite as old as mammoth DNA, but old, you know, kind of in its own right. The Bay Tree Bookstore, yeah. everyone's, everyone's favorite beloved bookstore, which has been around forever on campus. Yeah, it's, it's 750,000 years old. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I thought it was more like 1.2 million, but <laughs> anyway. Um, regardless of how old it actually is, it is getting a refresh. And the campus is doing this because as you know, times change and the store wants to be able to better meet the changing needs of students and faculty. The store is looking at possibly a new name and 
much more of an embrace of e-commerce like many other places. So now before anyone gets upset about a possible name change, they haven't selected a new name yet. Um, we'll see if they stick with Baytree in some form, but my sense is that they, they just don't sell a whole lot of physical books anymore. So I'm wondering if the bookstore part will fade away and they'll kind of keep the bay tree part i don't know we'll see but um the changes are scheduled to be rolled out by fall 2021 20, so coming up and wow that's kind of a big change uh, i feel like i've never set foot on campus where that hasn't we haven't had that bookstore um it's just part of the fabric <laughs> the bookstore seems like it's been there forever and well, I, I guess the big question is, doesn't a college campus need a bookstore? <laughs> yeah, you, you would think. Um, but like we've seen in book, the book business in general, um, this is driven in part by the ever-increasing preference among students and faculty for digital textbooks, rental textbooks, you know, and other, and other course materials. Yeah. Um, like for years, textbooks had been the bookstore's focus, of course. Um, but you know, as people using digital formats trended upward, purchases of course materials from the store trended downward, um, which makes total sense. I mean, it's a lot easier to carry a book on your iPad than <laughs> it is carrying like 50 pounds of textbooks in your backpack. Or, or squish them all into your dorm room like I did when I was in college. When you, I open, know. Up, you open up the door and you just get buried. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised your, your dorm room was like that. Oh, it was so horrific. <laughs> drying, <laughs> and people would actually you couldn't lock it so people would when they're touring the, when the parents they would always open up and like look how this animal lives oh was, gosh was... oh damn okay well let's get back to the, the bookstore the campus store not the bookstore um the new campus store is uh, it will continue to offer all all of its existing products including test supplies, office supplies, computers, and technology, along with, of course, UCSC, apparel, and gifts. Gotta get your, your slug gear and, and everything. Um, but, you know, because it won't need to display and store as many hard copy books, the store is also making plans to reduce its, its footprint on campus. Um, the store sees a lot of advantages in enhancing its digital experience, I mean, particularly course lower costs for academic materials which is a huge deal when you're a student but don't worry if you like me still enjoy reading physical books um, you can rest assured that all available hard copy forms of course materials new used and rental will still be available okay I've got a really burning question though yes. for you okay. I don't mean to put you in the spot but I'm dying to know about the little store next door to the bookshop where I feel like I've oh. bought a million packets of almonds. You know, you grab a quick snack and is anything happening with that? Okay, very good question. We, we need to think about, you know, our snacks, of course. Yeah. Um, so with this refresh of the bookstore, um, the campus is also refreshing the express store. You know, as you said, the shop next door to the bookstore, you can grab a soda or sandwich or bag of M&Ms or, you know, chips. Um, the Express Store will be managed by the campus dining team to allow the campus store to focus on its core operations. So the Express Store will reopen in fall 2021 when, by the way, you may have heard this news already, not sure our listeners will have, campus is planning to begin in-person learning again. Things are looking, you know, 
trending positively with COVID. Hopefully by fall, things will be even you know better um, and on the upswing than they are now. So it'll be uh, it'll still be a little different according to current planning um, because it'll be in a limited way, yes. of course, and with flexibility to change depending on how things go because you know who knows could there be, could be something out in the future that that Laura Garrett only knows about that we don't. <laughs> That's really cool. yeah. the pesky unpredictable variants and yeah you know it. it what you were talking about, that was announced a little while ago, and I think it's really exciting. And I have to say, I really hope they can go through with a plan. I know, I know. It's, everyone really needs to get back to in-person school. And, you know, well, in-person, like everything, <laughs> like I just miss being around people and just being able to go places without worry um, and just be together, you know. Um, but anyway, the planning for fall now, uh, for now, is um, classrooms will operate at approximately 50% capacity so that there can be distancing, uh, the, the campus can meet the distancing and the ventilation requirements. Um, On-campus housing will operate at approximately two-thirds occup occupancy capacity. Yeah. So like I said, it, it'll be a little different. Um, There'll be a, a mix of remote online and in-person instruction, obviously, since um, you know some people will not be able to come on campus and live on campus. They'll need to continue to do remote until we're cleared for 100% occupancy. Um, and you know there may be some people who want to continue remote. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to, to have huge lecture lecture courses um, in person because that's you know increases the risk stuff like that. So, but it's looking pretty good and that's the planning at the moment. So fingers crossed that we will be seeing students, faculty and staff and, and their parents and visitors and just people enjoying campus um, once again in the near future and that we'll be able to see more and more of them as time goes on. I sure hope that's the case. You know, it's funny, um, by the time they're returned to full capacity, I'm imagining that the turkeys will have taken over completely. So that'll be, you know. I know. They're probably not going to allow people on campus at all. They'll just hop on, peck your tires out. I, I feel like there will be blockage. <laughs> no one's talking about it because I think maybe that's the real issue. People literally don't know what to do, that there'll be like a million turkeys. I know. It's so true. That's, that's definitely a problem in the making, I'm sure. So we're going to have to have to uh, deal with that. <laughs> I don't know how, but we're going to have to. All right. Um, okay. Now that we've talked about turkeys, of course, I think we should talk about turkeys every podcast, don't you? You know, I'm going to see to it that that happens. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Transition into that. Like any I excuse I can, I will shoehorn the conversation into yeah. Hank Hate Beak, the wicked turkey. Of I know. And then we can do a quiz and see who's actually listening. He's got more um, Nora, more Twitter followers than I do, Gwen. I know. <laughs> I know. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to talk about another important milestone on campus. This is a great one. So 30 years ago, when a few African-American theater arts students approached Don Williams on campus, they told them about their feelings of isolation and, and how they saw a few stories that reflected themselves in the curriculum they were studying. And 
Williams could understand their frustration um, and their determination to, to change that. And so even though he was then at the time doing technical work for the department and had no funding besides his own wallet, he agreed to start an African-American theater troupe. Since then, the African-American Theater Arts Troupe, or AATAT for short, the only student African-American theater arts troupe in the University of California system, has staged plays by African-American playwrights, as well as taken up works that deal with issues of race, injustice, and discrimination. It has awarded more than $100,000 in scholarships, has brought its performances into the community, and has amassed a group of devoted alumni. And Don Williams became its founder and artistic director. That is, is really extraordinary. I'd love to hear this story, Gwen. And I saw, I caught one of their mini performances, a snippet, um, you know, at the MLK, at the Martin Luther mm. King Convocation. It was so well done. Oh, and you know, really this, this troupe must mean a lot to the students who are involved in it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, in fact, it's uh, according to Ted Warburton, who's interim dean of the arts at UC Santa Cruz, he said it's so much more than a student group. He said it's like a spiritual home, a place of belonging for our students of color who oftentimes express real feelings of being unmoored or excluded. It's also a place where Don Williams inspires students not only to express themselves, but also to take on leadership roles, which is just that's an important experience to have and to take out into the world. It must so much contribute to um, their success in, in life going forward. Yes, I'm sure. Um, the group held a 30th anniversary gala last month to celebrate the, the milestone. And I'm really hoping that they, they, they continue this amazing work for at least another 30 years and, and beyond and forever. Yes. I'm yeah. wishing them a long life. Yeah. Um, speaking of theater arts, this is super fun. Our theater arts department department is doing something really unique. So most, I don't know about you, but most of us, many of us have probably been sitting more and not moving as much as we might have before the pandemic because like gyms are, have been closed or sporadically kind of closed and then opened you know, people aren't like on campus walking between buildings, um, going to class or just going, you know, walking back and forth um, as, as people do on our campus. There haven't been like, just, you know, pick up basketball games, that sort of thing. I mean, people are, people may be moving around a little bit less. And now we have a new series of videos that's available to students, staff, faculty, really anyone. Um, to help offset this like increasingly sedentary lifestyle caused by this weird pandemic that's been, you know, swept the globe. Um, it's organized by theater dance lecturer Sid Perlman, and the series is called Three Minutes Moving, or 3MM for short. It makes it really easy to get up and move and groove with a variety of these these short, you know, it's, it's nice about it too. It's really accessible. They're short three minute movement experiences and they're presented by accomplished teachers in dance, martial arts, and contemplative movement practices. Um, the free video, the free, free videos are designed to promote health and wellness and joy for all body types. And you don't need experience or like training or, or nothing. You don't need anything, just pretty much an internet connection. 3MM is a project of um, UCSC Online Education in collaboration 
collaboration with the dance faculty of UCSC's theater arts department with support from Porter College and the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History, a nice little town gown um, collaboration. So cool. I love this idea, Gwen. And you're right. I mean, these days you've got to kind of more kind of dial in the exercise. It's not incidental anymore. You got to plan for it. And I, I like the fact that they're short and it allows some spontaneity, you know? Yeah. And so I was wondering, so what kind of videos are there to choose from? Yeah, you got to check it out. It's awesome. There is the seated seaweed spine. What? There's the, the deep soul dance break. There's gentle stretching. There's folklorico. And there's tons more, and I hear they're even making more. So the variety is awesome. It's super fun. Go check it out. You can you can find it just Googling. Uh, Google UCSC and uh, three minutes moving, and it'll get you there. And you can click and find them. Anyway, check it out. It's super fun. I'm excited to yeah. look at that and see. OK, do some, do some seated seaweed spine. Yeah. <laughs> do some uh, move, move your hips. Um, okay, so one last thing that I wanted to talk about, I just want to this on people's radars. Um, so you, usually we have alumni weekend um, where alumni come back to campus and it's just this joyful, fun um, time for people to reconnect and go to lectures and tours and talks and performances and um, exhibits and do all kinds of and have lots of um, social um, opportunities and have some drinks and some great food. Anyway, uh, we couldn't have alumni weekend last year because of COVID. Of course, it got canceled. And this year, uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep um, to a very safe route. Of course, keep everyone's safety in mind, and we're gonna do an all virtual alumni week, not just weekend week because um, people don't have to commute. They don't have to make a hotel reservation. They don't have to you know, drive onto campus or, or anything. They just need to, we'll just bring UCSC to them. So we figured let's expand this to a full week of, of programming. And it'll be April 19 through 25. So I just wanna get that on people's calendars. The planning is in progress and we haven't sent out information just yet, but watch for communications and save the date, get that date onto your Google calendar or whatever calendar you use. And um, we're planning all kinds of really fun stuff. So it's, I think it's gonna be a great time and hope we get lots of alumni and family members to join us. Should be a memorable one, that is for sure. <laughs> yeah, different, memorable, um, whatever, whatever word <laughs> we can describe it with, but it's, it's gonna be really fun. And, you know, we'll see what happens in 2022. Maybe we can get back to campus. But um, for now, we're I really gonna... hope so. That was a special tradition right there. I, know. I mean, it was, is, 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 is. Is. It's really great. Is. I meant, you know, really I meant the, the body of, of, of years preceding this one. <laughs> you know, and excluding this one, of course, naturally. Yeah, I know. It's, it's actually kind of cool because it definitely provides some flexibility in terms of what we what what we can do and the amount that we can do so um and i think it'll allow more people to come as well since oh, you don't have to physically go so anyway yeah so that is coming up um april 19th through 25 this one reminder all right uh that is it for this time good as always to have you with us i think that's all the news on your end isn't it dan it's all the news that's fit to podcast at this point. 
Okay. All right, everyone. So stay safe, stay healthy, wear your mask, slugs, and uh, we'll catch up with all the latest news next time.